0: thought we were going to be coming to the end of our our time thinking about the second coming of christ we thought we would give (coughs) excuse me (coughs) uh, a significant chunk of time to looking at this and steve beasley has prepared some uh some youtube clips for us to look at um i commend those to you some of them are looking at some of the technical things that surround this really important area of our faith, you know, one day Jesus will return. And it's, it's been a thing that's caused conversation. To be honest, it's called cause, causes, caused and causes division. So we thought we would just try and take a really practical look at some of those issues. And uh, not that we want to bang a drum. We simply want to say, look, there's some tools there to help you reflect on it yourself. Well, I found them very, very helpful uh, we had a great time, um, four of us, on Wednesday evening, uh, talking about this. And if you'd like to join us on Thursday, Wednesday evening, we'll be up in the House of Prayer from 7.30. So I've, I've got the easy job, really. I'm just sort of bringing a couple of, um, sort of encouraging words surrounding um, what we are talking about, the second coming of Christ. Um, I was going to finish this week, but we've jigged things around, so next week we're going to just do one more, looking at Matthew 25 and the parable of the sheep and the goats, which I think is, a, as I'll explain today, is another really important aspect of our waiting. You know, it's, it's, I think it's, it fits that we're talking about this in Advent, you know, the second coming of Christ. I know we're celebrating the first coming of Christ, but you can't look at the first coming without thinking about and talking about the second coming, and that's why it figures in our readings when we come to um, lighting the candles so today if you've got Bibles um, we're going to look at Ephesians 4 excuse me 17 to 527 so it's quite a big quite a big chunk Um, and I'm going to do my best we won't be covering everything because it's just huge it's massive it's one of those passages Ephesians is a bit like that isn't it you could just you could just look at it and look at it. But um, I'm using this to help us think about this particular aspect of the second coming. And we're thinking today about um, the, the church being the bride of Christ. And when Christ comes again, it's like there's going to be a wedding and a wedding feast. It's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that's what I want us to think a little bit about today today. Uh, in the context of this um, series that we're looking at. So let me pray together. Let us pray together. Lord, we love you and praise you and worship you. Thank you that you will come again. As as kind of difficult as that is to get our heads around, um, we just pray today for that gift of faith that we could simply believe that, yeah, you're going to come again and we need to be ready. And I just pray today that you'd show us what we need to do, how we can ready ourselves for your return. Um, that's a simple prayer, Lord. I pray that you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my hearts, the prayers, what I've poured into this over the week. And Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It, we're going to get serious now, really serious, because there is a massive problem affecting culture and society that I want to talk about to use to sort of introduce this whole area of the, 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 the bride of Christ that we are, the spotless bride that we're going to be talking about. I think families and relationships are being torn apart by this. The origins of it are in what we were talking about over the summer. Do you remember? I, I, we talked about idolatry and how we've talked about how we're making idols of ourselves. And that's one of the biggest idol in our lives that we've got to topple. <clears throat> so this is the problem based in that the, the problem is we, what we and this is what's impacting I think marriages particularly is the belief that how we feel our own emotions matter more than any vow or promise that we may have made okay so how we feel matters more than any vow or promise we may have made I'm not feeling the love oh it must be over this is a curse on marriages. It is an absolute curse on marriages. <clears throat> Our intimacy is not like that which we're told it needs to be like on the TV or the media. Scarily, I'm going to be really frank with you today, if that's all right, because I think I, I kinda, it's okay to be but scarily. The number of people uh, engaging in watching pornography is, is increasing. At an alarming rate and this is impacting this issue too. It's making people kind of reevaluate what they think intimacy is like and what it should be about. If it's not as it I'm not feeling it right, well it must be over. And this is the, 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 the curse that is hitting families and marriages. See that? I, I've really wondered about whether to say this. Okay, I'm going to say this. I'm not speaking to everyone here, but those of us who are, uh, are married, I'm going to say this. Okay, I went to a conference a few years ago. Stephen Gork is the pastor of a, uh, is an author and pastor of a, a big Baptist church, and he was talking to, um, <laughs> talking to the uh, folks at this conference, um, and he was particularly talking to the married couples. And him and his wife said something that was just so good. He said, "Guys." Sometimes he said, sex is a banquet, and sometimes it's a burger. <laughs> don't put that one on Facebook, okay? All right? We don't, we don't want any comment on that one. What I'm saying is, that's just the reality. That's the reality, isn't it? And I think we need to remember, and all I'm saying is that covenant is what really matters here. The promise, the vows, we make more than these other things. We've elevated, we've made gods of them at the expense of that covenantal relationship. And that's what I want to talk about. of, well, it's what I've, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking about in terms of taking that, the covenantal relationship, the importance of covenant in marriage, and, and of applying that to this whole era of what it means to be the bride of Christ. So at the heart of marriage is covenant, a deeply self-giving, sacrificial, lasting, heart-to-heart connection and commitment that can impact feelings and does impact intimacy, but needs in some ways to transcend them. You know, I think this whole area of covenant is why marriage still matters. And on the whole, when people enter into it, They don't do so thinking it's going to end. I'm not talking about Christians here. I'm talking about generally everybody. I've married lots of people, some Christians, some not. They don't come into it thinking, oh, it's going to come to an end because they think covenant and they know covenant, what's happening in that place is important. It really matters. And you know what? It's why it hurts so much when marriages come to an end. And I know... Many of you know that grief in your families or even in your own lives. So covenant is the key. And covenant is the key when we're talking about this whole area of the bride of Christ. You know, sometimes we shy away from it a little bit. We don't talk about it because it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's a bit weird. It kind of feels a bit weird, us guys. You know, it's going to. I was going sing a lovely song this week. I thought I'm not going to sing it because it's just it's just going to push us too far. And the song goes something like, "There's going to be a wedding. It's the reason that I'm living to marry the Lamb." You know, I love that song, but it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's a bit weird. But that's because we can't talk about this with gender, femininity, masculinity, intimacy, <laughs> sexual intimacy. This is not what we're talking about. This is not what we're talking about. So what are we talking about? we talking about covenant. We look at it from those things. We look at it in a very earthbound way, aren't we? But when you start to think a bit from the place of covenant, that deep, self-giving, sacrificial, lasting, heart-to-heart connection and commitment kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Because this is the relationship that he wants to have with us, his bride. And he wants us to have with him as the bridegroom. So how does this fit into our conversation about the second coming of Christ? Well, just two passages I want to read just to introduce this sort of next section. So The first is, the first is 2 Corinthians 11, 2. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. So it's kind of his words, his intentions, for the, his longing for the church at Corinth. But I think it reflects something of what God is saying about the church. He says in verse 11, verse 2, For I have divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin. I betrothed you. And then in Revelation 19, 7, 7 and 8, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad, and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And the bride, and his bride has been has made ready herself. Sorry, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now, to understand what's saying there, you've got to understand the whole word of the whole kind of concept of betrothal. Because it's we don't use that word, don't we? Don't have betrothal parties, do we? We have, you know, it, it's engagement. That's what we have in this kind of um, culture and context. In that context, betrothal was really important. It's almost like being married, but not being married. It was really serious as serious as marriage itself they would be like man and wife they wouldn't be living together and they wouldn't be sleeping together if they did that would be considered adultery even though they were betrothed to be married but that would be considered to be adultery because they hadn't gone through that that costume they haven't been through the wedding ceremony So there was a binding contract, a connection, a covenant between couples and their families. This is, what, this is where Mary and Joseph were at. Yeah? The betrothal period would be a time of preparation for the marriage and the wedding itself. So there's passages in Corinthians and Revelation. Are used. They're using this image to powerfully describe the relationship between Christ and his church and the place and the stage that we're in. The bride, the church, is being prepared for this day when the bridegroom comes again. And it's going to be like a wedding day, a wedding feast, when the bride gets his bridegroom. In the meantime, we live in this stage, this time of betrothal. There's this legally binding covenantal connection that he will not break. He will not break. Just a few things about this time, what it means to be the bride of Christ that we know kind of in part now, but there will be a fully knowing on his return at this time. It's marked by him sharing his heart with us. You know, as a, as a couple, there's a sharing of heart, his love, his care, his affection, his hopes, ambitions and desires. And we see them and we know them and we experience them as we turn our hearts to him. So there's a sharing of heart. There's a sharing of home. He is inviting us to be seated with him in those heavenly places from that perspective we gain insight understanding experience from that heavenly place again i don't fully understand that but there is that invitation we are seated with him in heavenly places and paul described this as, as being citizens of that place in philippians doesn't So he? he shares his heart he shares his home but what about this one He shares his throne with us in response to our heart response to him. And as we grow in our awareness of his, of this heavenly citizenship, there's a delegated authority to take up the mandate and fulfill the mission of the kingdom of God here on earth. There's an authority, a delegated authority that he shares with us as the bride to do that. When we go out, we go out in his name, do we not? When we pray for the sick, we pray for the sick in his name. And it's him who works and brings healing. It's his work through us. But the day is coming. Hallelujah. When the betrothal period comes to an end. And there will be this wedding feast of the Lamb. And the bride will get his bridegroom. And there will be this deeper, perfect connection and intimacy between Christ and his church that will last for ever. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because then we won't have all that taints and tarnishes that like it does now. The world, the flesh, the devil will be gone. And we will truly be, as the writer of the song, song says, I am my beloved and he is mine. So what is it about this time that we need to know? This betrothal period, this, this time when we're kind of married but not married. Waiting for that time but living in all the seriousness of it. You know, it, it, as we've explained. What does it mean to ready ourselves and to, to prepare for that? Well, I'm going to use Ephesians 4, 17 to 5 to 20. So I'm not just going to read it all the way through. I'm going to read through and just make a few little comments. So if you want to, if you want to follow, you can. So Ephesians 4, verse 17 says this, so I tell you this, and then it says this, and insist on it in the Lord. I think that's Paul saying, this is serious. <laughs> when he insists on something in the Lord, there is a seriousness about it. And what I, f- I feel that, you know, as praying, I've, I've, not, I've prayed so much about this passage this week. And so much about this sermon that I've never prayed as much about a word that I was bringing. And what I felt all the way through is that this is serious. We're not messing around here. This is serious stuff. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Form a way of life. To put off your old self. And in Ephesians 2 it says you, you died. You died. You were dead. And then it says your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. I love this. To be made new in your attitude, in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. To put on your new self, Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Then we have one of the key words in this passage. It says, therefore, therefore. And what that means to me is that what we've just said has implications. It's going to make a difference because it's therefore a reason. And as I went through some headings about where it's going to make a difference. It says it's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect our relationships. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So it's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect what we do. Paul's getting really practical here. He says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. It's going to affect what we say, our words. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's going to affect our emotions. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It's going to require us to love, care, honor, and forgive. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God it's going to affect what we do with our bodies but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place And it says, then then I think it's going to shape our outlook on life. The next phrase doesn't I've broke the way I've broken it up. It says, but rather thanksgiving. So instead of all that stuff, our, our hearts should be full of thanksgiving. So this is going to impact our relationship with the with the kingdom of God. It says there, in God Himself. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person, such a person is idolatra has any inheritance in the kingdom of kingdom of christ and of, and god and of god let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things god's wrath comes on those who are disobedient therefore do not be partners with them so you know how we engage with things affects our engagement our connection with the kingdom of god does it not I think this is all about living from the place that God lives within us. It's about living a righteous life in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And I think it really does reflect the seriousness with which which comes with the time that we're in. So so righteousness is a mark of this time of waiting, isn't it? I think Paul's words there are so clear, aren't they? They don't need me. Well this is what the Greek says, or this is it doesn't need that. It's as clear as clear in there, isn't it? So this season is marked by righteousness, firstly. But then it's also, I believe, marked by readiness. It says, For you were once you were once darkness, but now you are light. You're a light in the world. Live as children of light the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. I have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention them, to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything, but everything exposed by light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Wake up. We need to be ready. We need to wake up. I looked at that word in the original language. What does it mean? There's two different strands, two different ways of understanding. The first is this. Firstly, it's about becoming aware or attentive to a perilous position. Becoming aware or attentive to a perilous position. James shared last week, didn't he, about the prodigal son? And there's this moment in the story of the prodigal son where he just comes to his senses. He wakes up. Sadly, the older brother doesn't do that, does he? But the younger son wakes up. You know, we can't hide the fact that without Christ, apart from his grace, his love and mercy, we are in a perilous position, are we not? And if he were to come again, Or we were to go to be with him. And we had knowingly rejected or ignored the grace, mercy, and forgiveness that he offers to us. It leaves us in a perilous position, does it not? That's the first part of this waking up. Secondly, and I like this, it means rise or arise. Sound familiar? You know, these five principles that we have, being ambitious for the kingdom, restored identity, living inside-out living, servants of all, empowered by the Spirit, these are about, for me anyway, about being awake and alert and ready for him to return or for us to go and be with him. It's about living in this sort of period that we're in. We're betrothed to him. It's about living as his bride, ready, ready, Remember those bridesmaids, Matthew 25? Foolish, they weren't ready, were they? They weren't ready, and they missed out. This is about being ready, I believe that. If we're living by these principles, then we are ready. We're ready if he returns tomorrow, or he returns whenever. It's about living ready. So this period of time, as we're kind of waiting in, the, in this sort of betrothal period, it, it is gotta be marked, it's got to be marked by righteousness. It's got to make a difference to our living. And we have got to be ready. It's got to be marked by readiness. But thirdly, um, and sad, sorry, they all begin with R. I couldn't, you, know, you know what I'm like. It's about radiance. It's about radiance. And, and it says there, be careful. Verse 15, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord and always give thanks to the Lord, the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going to go on into chapter 5 now. What comes in chapter 5, normally we take a bit of time to explain that. Okay, but I haven't got time to do that because we really would be here all day. But what I want to say is that Paul is using the context of covenant relationship between a man and a woman to make a very important point about Christ's relationship with the church. And it just does need a little bit of interpretation, but I haven't got time to do it now, but you'll just bear with me. He says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands um, as you do to the Lord. For the husbands is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is saviour. There's lots of different ways of interpreting that, and I'm just not going there today. Now, as the church uh, submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit to their husbands in everything. And then this is the phrase I want us to finish with. Husbands, love your wives. And then it says this, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless the word radiant there means glorious it means splendid it's used of a person honored and respected and Christ is doing this um, he's preparing this is preparing the church as his bride making her radiant this is what god is doing in his church This is what is happening as we deepen our connection, our covenant, our devotion to him. There will be a time when we're going to be presented and it's going to be perfect, as I've said already. But in the meantime, we work towards that, don't we? We work towards that being radiant. James did a wonderful job last week talking about and unpacking the glory of God. I just say, go and listen to it. You know, I'm not going to repeat, but there's something, you know, a lot of what he said is about what we're talking about now. God making his church glorious, preparing his bride radiant, ready for the sun at the wedding feast of the Lamb. As I prayed about this, I said, you yeah, know, what do you want me to say that could, you know, I don't want to repeat, but what do you want me to say? And immediately my mind went to that, 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 that passage in, James, in um, Judges 7. So Gideon is going into battle. And uh, he splits his men up. And he gets them to take a jar. And he says, put the light in the jar. And as they go into battle, he says, when, I, when I say, when I say, when I give you my instruction, break the jar and let the, shine, the jar shine. And they blew their trumpets. And they confounded the enemy through the light shining. And I just thought about that in the light of... Um, what it says in Habakkuk as well. It says there, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I'm not being very clear here, but what I felt was that, that as we radiate, as we become more I'll say radiating, as we shine and display as we go from one degree of glory to another. We don't want to hide that. We want to display it for the world to see. And as we do that, I believe what we'll see is what it says there in Habakkuk, because the of the Christians across the globe go out and shine the light of Christ. They break any sort of anything. They don't hide it away. They just display it in the face of the enemy. I believe we'll see that, what we see in Habakkuk. The light of Christ being shone across the globe. So three aspects of this time of waiting that we're in, this time of kind of betrothal that we're in. We need to be living righteous lives. We need to be living ready and we need to be radiating. We need to live with that sense of radiance of God's glory within us. There's another aspect I want to talk about next week and that is the sheep and the gates, and about how we care for the lowest and the least and the poorest because I think that fits in with how we wait too and that's going to be really important. But for this week, I want to sum up by saying this. I think that this period of betrothal is about our devotion to Christ and that's what this all flows out of. This is what makes us ready. It's what makes us ready. We don't, we don't want to miss... Anything that he has for us. We need to be turning our ear to him. I think this devotion is what makes us or leads us into this sense of righteousness, too. We don't want to grieve him in any way, do we not? We want to live for him and we want to do the things that 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 reflect who he is. We don't want to do anything that's going to grieve him. And it is out of and in this devotion, as we devote ourselves fully to him, that I believe we become more radiant, knowing his presence and reflecting his likeness and activity to the world. Let's pray together. I believe this morning that that the Holy Spirit call to our hearts is to go deeper into you. That in this time of waiting for your return, being betrothed to you as the the church, the bride of Christ, you're just saying there's no time for messing around, for tinkering at the edges. Or do you want us to live ready, prepared, Turning our ears to you, listening to what you have to say. You want us to live righteous lives, Lord, not grieving you. You want our actions to match who we are in you. You want our words to match who we are in you. You want our thoughts to match who we are in you, Lord. You want us to live in the flow of who we are, children of God, with your spirit coursing through us. Lord, you want us to shine for you. You want us to be that radiant bride. We just have a moment where we might just need to repent, we might just need to turn attitudes, actions, thoughts, things we've watched, things we've done, said. God is a jealous God, jealous for all of us, be part of who we are. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you today. We give you our hearts today. All of who we are, our hopes, our dreams, our emotions, our motives, our ambitions, we lift them all up to you. Amen.